Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer, where we teach you everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. So last week, we actually talked about writing offers, how to get your offer accepted, things to do to help your offer stand out. And one of the things that we addressed in there are contingencies. And Josh, I think this is a super important topic because a lot of people out there, home buyers, don't understand contingencies. In fact, there's a lot of agents out there in some regard that don't understand contingencies. So today we're going to talk about the contingencies in a contract, what a contingency is, you know, the contingencies that we have in the residential purchase agreement here in the state of California. You know, because there's a lot of sellers out there at the moment that are pushing buyers and even agents that are pushing buyers to remove these, you know, and there's a risk involved with that, Josh. And so I think it's important to kind of walk buyers through this um, and help them understand what contingencies are, which ones are safe to waive. Maybe, you know, do they waive them all? I mean, let's talk about all that and help, you know, you as the listener become the educated home buyer. So Josh, Let's start, I guess, basic definition. Like, what is a contingency? What do you think of when you hear the word contingency in a contract? So a contingency is a period of time where you are allowed to um, analyze, review, inspect something before you have to make a final decision. So um, in essence, that contingency period is a trial period for you to do your due diligence, find out everything you need to about the property, about your ability to buy, about um, terms available in the market for for rates, mortgage insurance, things of that sort. Um, And they're there for a reason. This is a big purchase. For most people, it's the biggest single purchase they're gonna make in their life, and the mortgage is the biggest debt they're gonna take on. So these contracts are written um, in a way to make to enable everyone to make the best decisions uh, for themselves. So the whole reason for the contingencies, the contingency period is these things cannot be done immediately. For the most part, you can't have a loan approval in one day. You can't have a home inspector call them in the morning and have them run out and inspect same day. Appraisals, especially in certain areas of the country, are incredibly backed up. They can't get it to you the same day. So you're given a time frame to do all of your due diligence before having to make a final decision and your deposit is so-called hard, meaning no no longer can you just say, hey, I'm out, I'd like my money back. So that's the, the main thrust and, and reason for contingencies and why they exist in a home purchase. No, and I, I think the one thing you said there is, you know, the escrow deposit, right? So most people think, you know, in this market, hey, look, I don't, perform a contingency in a certain time frame, then it's it, it automatically just falls off and I'm my deposits at risk. And, and that's not the case. So let's let's here just co- kind of make some things clear so people understand contingency. So contingencies in a contract are meant there to protect you as a buyer, to give you that due diligence period like Josh mentioned. And even though there's set time frames in there, you still have to sign a document, at least here in the state of California, you know, that says I'm releasing these contingencies at which point your deposit could be at risk. But there's six, you know, potentially seven or eight contingencies now in the contract. And we'll talk about what each one of those 
are in just a minute. But the other risk is not only your deposit. Sometimes when you don't perform a contingency within a specified time period, you might end up not, you might get your deposit back, but you could end up losing the property. And right now what you have um, are agents, a lot of agents, quite frankly, and, and, and again, this is, you know, we're not bad mouthing agents, but there's agents out there that don't have some of the experience and don't have some of the knowledge that they're telling buyers, hey, listen, you know, you've got to release everything. If you want your offer to get accepted, you have to release everything, which right from the get-go puts your deposit at risk, right? So if you put, you know, here in the state of California, typically speaking in this environment, a lot of buyers are doing 3% of the purchase price. So you buy a $500,000 home, you're putting $15,000 into an account, you know, escrow account that's held by them. Um, and it's not the seller's money, right? It doesn't automatically become the seller's money, uh, but it puts that money at risk once you release those contingencies. The seller could keep that money. Um, you know, there, there's clearly a process that goes along with it. It's not quite that simple, but there's money at risk when you release those contingencies. So Josh, let's talk about you know, in this environment, what those contingencies are. And and I think let's start with the most important ones right now, the ones that people are are thinking about or hearing about the most. Appraisal, right, I think is probably the most talked about at the moment, and home inspections, right? So appraisal, who orders the appraisal? What is the contingency? Like, what? why is it there? How is it used? All of that. So if we go back in time, 15 years, uh, it was up to us to order the appraisal. And even if we had a buyer who said, oh, my best friend's an appraiser and he's going to do it for me for 50 bucks, I need him to go out and do it. Now, when um, you say we, we, Josh, who are you talking about? Just so we, the buyer. The, the lender, the person okay. doing the the loan um, had the ability to do that, whether it was the broker, the loan officer, the bank. Um, they could simply just select a, a licensed local appraiser, make the order and and get it done. Um, and what happened is the government decided that lenders, salespeople of whatever sort, were putting undue pressure on the appraisers to bring in values uh, at, at a level that would make deals work. So they put a firewall between sales and the uh, appraisal uh, ordering. So that means it's going to go through either a, a separate third party company, an appraisal management company, who manages that whole process of ordering um, getting in the report, QCing, doing a quality control inspection on the report, and then delivering it to the lender, or bigger lenders have taken on that function themselves. And basically the same thing happens, but they internally have an appraisal management desk that's firewalled from sales or that firewalls sales from talking to the appraisers. We don't generally get to talk to them at all, and even the realtor. So let's say Jeb and I are working with a client. We go through the appraisal management company. They assign out the appraiser, and Jeb meets them there. Jeb's not supposed to be sitting there going, hey, we think the value is $950,000. They can walk through some, some comps and any available information, but you're not supposed to Im influence them in any way. So that's the way the appraisal is ordered. And the timeline always comes down to how quickly can we get it back? And this varies largely by region. And I don't just mean by state. Um, you know, in parts of Northern California, it can take us almost three weeks to get an appraisal back. Some parts here of Southern California, seven days is, is fairly reasonable. So we've talked about this on the show. Your loan officer, whoever that may be, whatever relationship they have with your realtor and your realtor, they, they need to be having that conversation with where we're at with this type of property. How long do we need to get the appraisal back? Is there any ability to shorten that timeline? Can we pay extra? Can we pay a rush fee? Um, but that contingency is probably the most important 
Um, at least it's the most important from a dollar standpoint. Other inspections that we're going to talk about may lead you to just walk away from a deal or to request a repair. This contingency, the appraisal inspection, if it comes in way low, could mean you need to come up with a big chunk of money above and beyond what you were planning to. So that's the appraisal contingency and that's the importance of it and the timeline of why your lender needs to work closely with your realtor and let them know how long it's going to be needed to get that report back. Well, I think it's important to let's let's start with time frames. Like how is the contract written? Like in the state of California, you have 17 days, right? It was just rewritten. We have a new contract as of January 1st that you have 17 days. You have 17 days to do to get a loan approval. And I'm going to go over the contingencies here so you have an understanding of what we're going to talk about. So you have 17 days to do to get your loan approved. And we're going to talk about what that means. You have 17 days to get the appraisal back. You have 17 days to do all your inspections on the property, and we'll talk about those inspections. You have 17 days to review the seller disclosures, 17 days to review the HOA docs, 17 days to review the preliminary, the title report on that property, 17 days to potentially, if you have any contingencies on selling properties or the, you know, the, the, the seller that you're buying the property from has a contingency, there's there's time frames on that as well. So state of California says 17 days to release these contingencies. Other states have longer contingency periods. Not all of them are the exact same time frame. In fact, before this new contract, we had some varying time frames on, on those days, but now it's 17 days. So let's talk about why, Josh, before we dive into this a little bit further, why a seller might want shortening shortening contingency periods. Like why as a buyer, okay, you're telling me I've got a 30-day escrow. I'm buying your house. I've, I've said I'm going to buy it in 30 days. 17 days is pretty quick. That's just over two weeks. So you're saying I can't, you know, you want me to do it quicker than two weeks. Why does a seller want me as a buyer to, to release those, those quicker or to shorten those timeframes? In, in one word, it, it's certainty. You have during that 17-day timeframe, you have uncertainty. You don't know if the value is going to come in. You don't know if the value comes in low, how the buyer is going to react. Are they going to ask for a price reduction? Are they going to be willing to come up with the additional funds? Um, and we're talking traditionally, you know, over over the last 20 years. The last year or two, a seller said, hey, basically, this is the price. You can pay it or I'm going to go and sell to the next potential buyer. And, and we'll see how that plays out through the remainder of the year. But, you know, some people are thinking, well, Rates are up. There's maybe less buyers in the market, uh, a less competitive bidding situation. So the sellers may be calming down on this. Uh, I don't know about your experience, Jeb, but for the most part, I almost see them being more cautious and wanting to even more shorten these timeframes um, just because they don't know, hey, two weeks from now, what if rates are a half percent higher and I have less potential buyers? They want to ratchet down the timeframes to get themselves certainty of what's going to happen. Right. By all means, everyone realizes that a buyer needs um, to have the ability to do their inspections and, and, and get their due diligence done so they have a comfort level making this large decision. But we need to shorten it to as much of a time frame as possible. And, you know, Jeb, I think it's important to say that California contract, 17 days is standard. That's what's hard coded into the contract. Correct. You guys can negotiate anything you want. There's another Correct. box that you check that says one day, zero days. Or you can wave, go up. Wave, wave, wave it entirely. I mean, right. Can, yeah, exactly. Yeah, two parties have to agree on it. And I, I think you said something important there, Josh, and, and didn't say it directly, but these timeframes change in different markets. Right now, it's a seller's market, right? So the sellers have leverage. Therefore, 
They're trying to get you to shorten those timeframes in a market that's a buyer's market, which we will see at some point again in, in the future. Buyers might say, no, we want 17 days and the seller will say, yeah, sure, because we're, we're you're my only offer or whatever. I'm willing to work with you. And a lot of times it's the agents, not necessarily the seller, kind of driving what these timeframes are. I mean, me as a listing agent helping a seller, I want to get that buyer through this process as quickly as possible, because if that buyer is not going to move forward for one reason or another, maybe they put in multiple offers, right? Maybe they put in offers on, on two or three properties because that was the market they were in and they're kind of moving things simultaneously. I want to figure out which property or I want to make sure they're going with my property sooner rather than later, because if I've got to put it back on the market, I don't want 20, you know, 17 or 20 days on market before I've got to go back on. I want to find out two or three days into the process, right? So as an agent, I'm telling my seller, hey, like, let's try to shorten these time frames and, and get through this process sooner rather than later so that we know we have a solidified deal. So that's what the contingencies are. That's why sellers are asking for them. Again, that's why, you know, a lot of markets right now we're seeing, you know, People ask for 10 days on an appraisal contingency. Sometimes they're waiving that appraisal contingency. So that that's something that you know we can talk about here in just a minute. But you mentioned appraisal contingency. Now let's talk about home inspection. Now, some people, Josh, think these are the same thing. They think the appraisal is the home inspection. So let's be clear. These are two separate inspections. The appraisal is there to figure out the value of the property from, from a lender standpoint. And the, the home inspection is there to make sure that everything in the property is functioning as it should, or at least as you, you think it should, right? So they're going to check things like, you know, the HVA system, HVAC system, rather. They're going to check things like, the, you know, they're going to look at the water heater. They're going to look at, you know, the plumbing, the electrical panel. They're going to go through the property and basically do an inspection on these things. It's, you know, and, and tell you in a report all the things that are, you know, wrong, if you will, with the property. Now I can tell you in, you know, almost 20 years of, of, of being in the real estate industry, I've never seen an inspection not come back with something, right? An inspector is paid to you, find you've, problems. You've never seen the perfect house that they come back, oh, this one is fantastic. Not even on new construction. Not I even mean, new I've construction. Seen that were just completed. In fact, I bought one back in 2016. We did an inspection on it. And there was a laundry list of items that weren't correct in that property. And, you know, these are things that as a buyer need to be functioning. Now, there's a, there's a little different process in new construction, but the, the reality is they're going to find things. There's code changes that have happened over time. Um, you know, things, you know, change. And, and so an inspector is there to make sure that you're aware of them. Now there's a difference. Some of them are health and safety items. Some of them are just cosmetic things that need to be done. But nevertheless, it's an inspection period for you as a buyer to do your due diligence. And so again, the, the state of California allows you 17 days to do that, that due diligence and what, what have you. And it might include more than just a home inspection, right? A home inspection is pretty standard, but sometimes you do a mold inspection or you get a sewer inspection, or you might have a termite inspection that, that you said the buyer was going to do, or maybe it's on a, the side of a hill and you need you know, somebody to come out and look at the foundation of that property just because of how it was built or what have you. So these are the, the this is the time frame rather where you're going to do all those inspections. Now we're in a market where people are waiving contingencies, Josh. So thoughts on on waiving 
this sort of thing? I mean, you've you've flipped a lot of property. You dealt with properties yourself. Um, you know, is it what contingencies? I guess are safe, and we can we can wait. Throw this out at the end, if you will, or we can talk about it now. But you know, what do you feel like? You know, on a home inspection, is this one of those that you should give up? You shouldn't. You know, thoughts. So here, you and I had this conversation on uh, a YouTube live a few weeks back, and, and I had asked you, I said, even if I were to waive my inspection contingency, so I, I don't have the ability to get out of the transaction based off of anything I find on the inspection, I would still want to do the inspection. And you were saying, hey, I might not allow someone to come through and, and have access to the property to do the inspection. So to me, I, I would ask for it. I would say, we're going to do it. It's for informational purposes only. And obviously the, the potential issue or problem there is I go through as a buyer, I visually look at everything and go, hey, the house isn't in the greatest of shape, but I kind of have an idea of what everything's going to cost. And an inspector goes through and goes, hey, there's actually a $100,000 repair here and now it blows up a deal. So I can certainly understand the realtor's perspective. Um, I, I don't, to me, to my brain, when I hear waiving the inspection contingency, it means I'm accepting it as is. It doesn't mean I'm not going to educate myself on what might be there that I need to be aware of that I'm going to deal with. What, what are your thoughts on that, Jeb? No, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of those uh, agents that I don't, it's got to be, it's a rare, very rare um, circumstance where I, I tell a buyer, Hey, listen, we got to waive everything. And, and it's only those cases where the buyer really knows construction or knows property or knows how to do things that I even feel safe. I, I deal with a lot of first time home buyers, right? People that are buying the home the first time, there's some fear already to start. They don't want to put themselves in a position where they're buying a property that has issues. And, and a lot of them, quite frankly, don't have the, the wherewithal to, to know what to do if, if that, there was a problem, that's what I was going to say. Your general first-time buyer has twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars to work with. Your move-up buyer is walking away with a chunk of money. Maybe they have two hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars to deal with a big problem that could come up on an inspection. Yeah, so it's you know I think there are things in the contract you can waive or shorten and be completely um, safe um, in, in keeping your deposit and, and shortening home inspections. I think is fine, right? Seventeen days on a contract is is what the contract's written. A lot of the the offers that we're putting in, hey, listen, we'll do the inspection in five days. And that just means we're going to do the inspection in five days. That doesn't necessarily mean that we've got to negotiate the request for repairs in that time frame. We just got to do our inspection and get our list back to the seller. As long as you're negotiating in a contract, th there's no one that can, that can, you know, the seller can't just back out. And I think I, I that's something to be clear here is that you know, buyers oftentimes think, well, I don't want to ask for anything because I don't want the seller to just cancel on me. It doesn't work like that, right? As a buyer, you have an opportunity to say, hey, listen, this is what I would like from you. I'm asking you to make repairs in this case, right? So even if you've purchased a property, say, as is, like Josh mentioned a moment ago, hey, I'm going to buy this as is, you do an inspection, something comes back and you're like, you know what? I wasn't expecting that. I'm going to ask the seller to fix it. That you can do that, right? The seller can't just cancel. It's a negotiation. They can come back and say, no, I'm not going to do it. And then you as a buyer have to make a decision. Okay, am I still going to move forward and buy the house or not? And if you say no, then yeah, the seller can give you a notice to perform to, you know, to uh, make a decision one way or the other, but it doesn't keep you from asking. So I think it's important to note. And, and while we're on this, Josh, I think it's also important to note that, you know, I'm often hearing people say, hey, listen, I'm going to waive the appraisal 
But if the appraisal comes in less, I'm just going to use another contingency to back out, right? Keep in mind, you know, it could come back to bite you. Can you potentially find a reason to back out? Sure you can. In the state of California, in fact, you don't necessarily have to have, you know, a a contingency in writing to just say, hey, listen, I've changed my mind and and deciding, you know, I'm not going to move forward with the property. But if an appraisal comes in less, and the and the lender or the the seller is aware of it and the seller's agent's aware of it you've got to be pretty you know clear on why you're backing out of a contract so that you know there isn't any recourse in that process you, you, what are your thoughts on that Josh i mean are you having people ask about appraisals and then say hey listen you know if it doesn't come in maybe i'll just use something else I definitely i've absolutely heard that it's not common but you hear it from clients hey we still have the inspection but again, most homes come back with a relatively clean inspection report. I mean, it could be 20 items, but of those, they're all you know 80 to 150 dollar repairs. So, so easily, even that could add up to a couple thousand dollars of things that the inspector would like to have seen done to the property. But you're going to tell me, hey, the appraisal comes in forty thousand dollars low, but we're going to back out because we've got two thousand dollars of stuff on the inspection. I mean in your best case, it's pretty transparent what you're doing. And um, your reputation as a buyer in the market is not all that important because you're not going to be in the market all that often. Your agent's reputation in the market and who they're representing is really important because they're in in the market uh, all the time. So does it happen? Yeah, it does. Um, It's it's pretty transparent when it's there. And and again, for us, I, I don't know how other states operate, but California is very buyer friendly, very tenant friendly, whoever's on the buyer side of the equation. um, California is much more consumer friendly versus the professional or seller side um, friendly. So you're you're probably going to be able to do it and and get out of it. You know, a much better thing to do. And and what are your feelings on this, Jeb? I I was I, I moderate in a big group for veterans on Facebook where they can come and ask questions. And we saw one last week that these people had went in and basically waived every condition, including their appraisal with no limit. Not saying, hey, I will cover a a gap up to 25,000. And it turned out the appraisal came in $75,000 low. This is a VA loan who were putting zero down. So they went from needing like $15,000 to needing $90,000 to close on that. So I understand in this market, sellers have needs, but a lot of the time aren't sellers more open to saying, hey, we're pretty confident that I have a range of where I think my home is going to appraise for, and we can we can put a limit on how short it would come. But I mean, again, even even with that, if you have one person saying, "Hey, I have no appraisal contingency," and one saying, "I'll cover a gap up to twenty five thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars, whatever the number is," um, it's it's yet another way to to compare offers. It's just in that situation, those people were really lucky. The sellers came back and were reasonable and negotiated with them and they got it down to like $45,000 to close instead of the 15,000. Um, but it's it's just crazy when you see people out there eliminating all contingencies and the, the real risk in that situation was they had no contingencies. So the their deposit, which was I think $10,000 in this situation was at risk. No, it's... You know, I, I don't know if it's a lack of communication from agents telling people what all of this means or just sellers or just buyers rather thinking that they already know and therefore they don't pay attention to, you know, what an agent's telling them when they talk about contingencies. But 
these are the things that, that put you at risk. I mean, we've talked about appraisal and home inspection. I think those, in my opinion, are probably the most important because those are really the two things that most deals fall apart over, right? In my experience, um, you know, those so, are primarily what's that? So, so you're saying that all loan officers are doing perfect pre-approvals and you don't see deals well, fall apart over financing? No, well, let's talk. We'll talk about that here in a second. So, loan would be the third, uh, but I would say most of the time, you know. If, if the agent has done their work up front and make sure the buyer's qualified, right? That's one of my jobs to try to make sure the buyer's qualified, that that doesn't come into play. But that is the, definitely the thing that we're going to talk about now. But appraisal, you know, values coming in less, a buyer not being able to make up that difference or, or not wanting to make up that difference and things wrong with the property that they weren't aware of, I think are the biggest two. But I think the third thing that we're going to talk about here, Josh, loan would be um, definitely the, uh, the final straw, if you will, um, in, in buyers, you know, outside of them just changing their mind and not wanting to buy a property, but loan approval, right? So you have 17 days, the way the contract's written again, I know we keep rehashing this, but it's important to know here in the state of California, 17 days to get a loan approval. That means what Josh, you get your loan approved and then you're supposed to release the contingency. What, what what does loan approval mean? Because I think this is very, very well, important for buyers out there. Absolutely. Because this is, um, I would say about 80% of buyers understand what this is. We'll have uh, about 20% of buyers and their agents get a little bit confused on this. When the, the transaction opens, so um, again, let's use the example, Jeb and I are working together. His transaction coordinator sends over a contract, says, here's your escrow and title company. Here's all of our dates. Get going. We got to get moving on the loan. So our first step is we send out disclosures. We might need a couple of updated documents from the borrower, depending on how long they've been looking. We gather that stuff. Within about 24 hours, we submit the loan to underwriting. My fastest lenders are about 24 hours in underwriting right now slowest are about five days. So somewhere within five to seven days of opening, we're going to get your loan approval. Now, does that mean that we're all done with the loan? No, it doesn't. That initial loan approval approval can also be known as a conditional loan approval. It's going to come back with a list of conditions. Some of those are, are funding conditions, things that, the, that are internal to the lender that they clear at closing. Some of them are title and escrow conditions. Some of them are borrower conditions. Our job at that point is to look through them and say, are these all just boilerplate things that we would normally expect? Or are there any deal breakers in here? Because at this point, we have the loan approval. We should be releasing the loan contingency as long as we're in our time frame. So let's say we shortened it to 10 days. Now I'm saying at eight days, we have a conditional loan approval. We look at it and we say, hey, there's no deal breakers in here. We're just gonna gather these three or four basic items from you. We're gonna get back in line for underwriting. And then the underwriter gives us the full loan approval, which is your clear to close, meaning nothing left from you guys, you the borrower, you the buyer, um, and we can order your loan documents. And the confusion that Jeb's talking about here is that we have a lot of buyers and their agents go, oh, I'm not releasing my contingency, my loan contingency. I need to know that the underwriter has signed off on all of these things. And that's not the way the contract is written. It's not clear to close, not loan doc sitting at escrow. That's why it's at 17 days, even if we're in a 30-day escrow. Or we might have shortened both. It might be 10 days in a 21-day escrow because the agents don't want to wait until two days before to find out, hey, we couldn't clear those final conditions, so we're going to use our loan contingency and back out. So you need to know 
that your lender knows what in the hell they're doing, has packaged the file well, has got it approved in a timely manner, and you guys have reviewed the conditions on the initial loan approval and know that you're going to be able to clear those. And at that time, you would release the loan contingency. Two important things to note here, right? I know some states, right? Arizona, for example, that contingency is 28 days, <laughs> right? The way the contract's written, literally, you have almost the entire period to 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 get your loan approval. So some states, again, are going to be a little bit different than what we're talking about here in California. So just make sure when you're going through that, you understand that. I think another one's Tennessee has some of these longer time frames on on loan approval, but understand. You know, your pre-approval, if you will, like, so what the lender does initially to say, hey, you're eligible to buy a home is separate from the loan approval, which is separate, again, from final loan approval. There's kind of three steps in this process. You you buy a home with the idea that you've been pre-approved. Now you get your, you know, your conditional loan approval, right? Conditional means there's still conditions the lender needs to satisfy but your loan's been approved and assuming your your you know your agent I'm sorry your lender is looking at that contract going okay there's five items on here they needed updated pay stub they need to know you know about these deposits in your account they need a verification of employment whatever it is on that that loan approval your lender should be able to look at that loan approval and go listen you know buyer you are good to release your loan contingency. We have approval. We can satisfy all of these things. But the risk is, again, you don't do it, right? Say, hey, I'm not releasing my, my loan contingency because we're not, we, we don't have loan docs. We're not closing yet. The seller can say, hey, listen, I'm giving you a notice to perform here in the state of California. The way the contract's written is 48 hours. If you don't release that contingency in 48 hours, the seller can back out. Now, you're not going to lose your deposit in that case because you haven't released that contingency. But in the case that you do, for example, say, hey, listen, you know, I, I've released my contingencies. The lender said I'm good. And you get up to closing. And, and say, for example, in the, in the case, now this rarely happens, but I, I want to be clear here in how contingencies work. You've released your contingencies. Say, for example, you lose your job. Just hypothetically, you know, it happens. At that point, your deposit, because you've released that contingency, even though you can't get a loan now, that's where you're 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 at risk. So there is some risk, even though you're approved in releasing that contingency. It's not likely to happen, but it's just something that you need to note as a buyer, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, had a, I, had a, I had a buyer quit their job after oh, we got yeah. their loan approval about two months ago. That was a fun one. Well, I got my loan approval. Why, what do you mean I can't quit my job? I hate that job. <laughs> So no, weird, I remember that story. Stuff happens. Now, no, so, yeah, Jeff, hold on. You you had mentioned something twice now, so I think it's important. Um, the notice to perform. So let's say we get to 17 days. We have all of the normal standard contingencies in California uh, contract, and I'm the buyer, and I have released no contingencies. Common misconception from the buyer is, well, they can just cancel and take my money. They can't. Why don't Why don't you walk through what that notice to perform is and what that process looks like if you fail to meet these contingency timelines? Yeah, basically a notice to perform says, hey, listen, and, and you as a buyer have the same document. Okay, so I want to be clear. It can, it can be given from either side, but typically it's given from a from a seller side. I mean, we'll talk about why here in just a minute, but a seller is basically giving you a document that says, "Hey, listen, if you don't do what I've you know, there's a bunch of boxes on a contract and and they can check whichever ones that they're trying to get you to fulfill, if you will. And one of them might be all contingencies in this case, right? You haven't released all contingencies. So, the seller is saying, "Hey, listen, 
I'm giving you 48 hours to do what I'm asking you in this box. And if you don't perform that task, I can cancel. It doesn't mean I will. It means I can cancel in f- when that time frame is up. So I think it's important to know. Sometimes I've received in my in my experience, I've been on the buyer side and I know I'm coming up on say a 17 day contingency period. So I've got say two more days to release those contingencies per the contract. I've had sometimes sellers agents give it to me two days before and say, hey, listen, we know you're two days away, but we're giving you a notice to perform now because it requires 48 hours. And so at the end of 48 hours, we can cancel. So they're giving it to you in advance, knowing that it's going to end on the same day your contingencies are released. Because if you don't, that seller can cancel and move forward. Again, your deposit's not at risk because you haven't released those contingencies, but that's that's why it's there, right? Is so that you as a buyer have to perform based on the contract. Now, I, men- I mentioned a moment ago, a buyer can give one of those. So say, for example, you know, you as a buyer, um, you know, are waiting on the seller to do something um, in the contract. Maybe you're waiting to hear back on the request for repairs. Uh, you've got a lock that's going to expire. You know, you need to find get a final answer on this property. Hey, look, are you going to negotiate with me? Because if not, I'm going to move forward with, with maybe another deal or cancel or whatever. So you as a buyer can give a seller a notice to perform that says, hey, listen, you have to perform this task or whatever within this time frame. Otherwise, I can cancel. And in that case, you would keep your deposit. But typically, buyers don't use them because that essentially gives the seller a free out of the contract. And especially in a seller's market, there, there's very little benefit for you as a buyer in most cases to do that. Um, but it can be used in either direction. So pretty clear, Josh? Yeah, Jim, yeah. let me ask you this, because the the sort of the subtext behind all of this, the buyers are always afraid, I don't want to lose my deposit. I don't want right. to lose my deposit. In all your years of mortgage and real estate, how many times have you seen a buyer lose a deposit? I personally, not, I am knocking on wood as I'm saying this. You probably hear it. Um, I've never had a buyer lose deposit. Uh, it's just because you, you want to be careful, right? You, Me as an agent, I'm not reckless in, in people's money. Um, so I want to be very, very clear. I mean, I would almost feel responsible if they lost their money. So I don't want to be in that that scenario. So I haven't had it. I've heard of scenarios where where buyers have lost deposits because in most of the time it 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 happens because the seller changes their mind, uh, or the buyer rather changes their mind at some point in the contract. Like they've, you know, they've received the loan uh the approval, they've done the appraisal, they've done everything and done their due diligence and they've released their contingencies with the intent to move forward. And then something happened and they said, you know what? I'm not moving forward because I just get cold feet. I'm willing to, to lose that. I've, yeah. I've heard of that happening. Every time we have one of these fun situations, much like when we talked about a title insurance claim, I the, the only one I've ever seen was actually one where I was a seller and we kept a buyer's deposit. And it was because they were way past all their contingency periods. They had requested certain repairs. The furnace wasn't working great in the property. So we said uh, it's it was 60% of the cost to repair it as it was to replace it. We replaced it, put a new furnace in. They sent over their cancellation and says, you didn't take care of the furnace. We sent them back the invoice showing, hey, the furnace was replaced. So if you want out of the transaction, feel free, but you will not get your deposit back. Um, And with that, it took a $2,500 letter from a real estate attorney to their agents and their agent's broker, and we were able to keep their $10,000 deposit. Um, but that it was ex- it was exact same thing, and and that was 2007, and they turned out to be really smart. Um, they got cold feet. They were worried about where the market was, and they backed out. And the people that ended up buying it short sold.
sold it three years later for $300,000 less than they bought it for. Yeah. So in some cases it, it might work out losing the deposit, not to move forward with the trend, you know, the deal, but in most cases, you know, the money is, is an important piece and you don't want to let money go for, for whatever reason. And, and keep in mind, in order for a deposit to be released, both the seller and the buyer have to sign a document releasing that money, which brings up a whole different episode, <laughs> if you will, that we could talk about here, but let's get back on contingency. So we've talked about appraisal. We've talked about loan. We've talked about home inspection. Again, I think that probably makes up 99% of, of the reason percentage of people backing out of a contract. The other three to four things that we're going to talk about here are are less, um, I wouldn't say important because they're very important, but they're they're not reasons that people typically back out. Less, less likely to be deal breakers. Exactly. So seller disclosure. So here in the state of California, very litigious state, a lot of disclosures that buyers and sellers have to sign. There's a template based, you know, disclosures that every single buyer, every single seller signs in the state of California, and they all look exactly the same. There's two disclosures that aren't exactly the same outside of the natural hazard disclosure, which is a, a, a different disclosure. Uh, but there's two disclosures that a seller is actually has to check boxes on there. And then anytime they check a yes on a question, they have to tell you why. Um, and what that means is, for example, um, and these are the the real estate transfer disclosure and the seller property questionnaire. So they're called uh, the TDS and the SPQ, right? Those are the the, the abbreviated versions of those. Uh, but those documents ask questions like, has anyone um, you know died on the property in the last three years, right? It might not use that exact verbiage, but that's what it's asking. And if you check yes, you have to say what happened not necessarily in detail but you know someone passed away from natural causes or whatever you know another one might be you know do you have any adjoining walls with neighbors or or what have you the answer is yes you might say you know common walls with neighbors or or you know I'm in a condo or whatever the reason is that you put that so there's a list here and you might say well those are standard I would have known if there was adjoining walls or what have you well there's questions in there that you might not have known if, the, if, if they weren't asked directly to the seller. And that's the important piece. And I would say more often than not, there's nothing that shows up in those disclosures that you don't already know, but occasionally there could be something in there. But those two disclosures are different from all the others. And you have seven days, I believe, the way the contract's written from the time that you receive those disclosures to, it might be five days, um, to review them. Uh, but again, it's within that specified time frame that that you've allotted in the contract. Now, what happens in the case that you've said, hey, listen, I'm willing to release all my contingencies in 10 days, but then the, the seller doesn't get you documents until the 10th day. Do you have to release your contingencies? The answer is no. You still have a an opportunity to review these uh, documents after they're given to you. So if it if it extends you past the 10 days, so be it. That's that's the seller's fault for not abiding to their side of the contract. So I think that's extremely important. Something we probably should have mentioned very early in the in the episode here that if the seller doesn't perform and do what they're supposed to in the contract, you're given additional time to 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 do that. Say for example, let's use go back a minute and say an appraisal, right? So sell, the seller doesn't give you access. Say you're you're going to release the appraisal in ten days, and the 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 seller's out of town for a week they're on vacation or whatever and they get back and they're you know got something going on at the house and it's the 10th day and you haven't done the appraisal but they haven't allowed access do you have to release it no because they haven't given you an opportunity to do the appraisal so 
it takes two parties working together to make these timeframes work. And I think that's that's really, really important to know. And the next one's HOA docs. You're going to have an opportunity if the property has a homeowners association, any CCNRs, you have an opportunity to review those documents. A lot of times these can take a week, 10 days for the HOA company to get them back to the seller to get to you to review. You're still given additional time frame to review those documents. I think it's five or six days per the per the contract to review those um, documents to, to decide whether or not you want to proceed forward. Um, last one would be the title report. Get an oppor- opportunity to review the title on there. Make sure there's no easements, no you know anything on that property that you're not aware of um, that would keep you from purchasing it. Um, and then lastly would be if the seller has you know contingencies on selling a property or you as a buyer have a contingency on selling a property or what have you. And I'm not going to dive into those in this because I think that's kind of a little bit outside of the box. But Josh, anything there that that we're needing to go a little bit deeper on? No, just maybe explain the difference between um, the preliminary title report and and what comes later. Why is that preliminary? So the, the first thing is um, when the realtor requests the prelim, uh, title does uh, an initial search of everything that's on the property. They tighten that up a lot through the process. Yeah. Every buyer and seller has to provide a statement of information. They're going to dig into each one of those. So more information can come up later on in the process. But the preliminary report catches 90, 95% of the stuff. Um, occasionally, something will come up on a buyer or a seller. And in this instance, we're primarily talking to buyers. So right. seller could have had a tax lien or some sort of judgment that didn't pop up yet in the public records, but they're able to find that way. Um, but y- you'll find out through through the process, it shouldn't impact your contingency timelines. No, and as a buyer, just keep in mind, a lender's not going to allow you to purchase a property that has issues on title to start with, right? They've got to be clear. So as a buyer, you're pretty protected on the on the prelim side of things. And if something were to pop up later, essentially you have title insurance for that reason. Um, so there's less I mean, in my experience, concern um, as a buyer with regards to title, other than, for example, like sometimes it shows that a, a community might have, you know, CCNRs or something associated with it. I, I had one one time where the the city or I forget exactly how it worked, but the city somehow controlled the roofs or something in the neighborhood. I, I forget exactly how it works. I probably shouldn't have mentioned it because I forget what it was, but it was in Midway City. And somehow there was something with the roofs that the city controlled. And if you didn't read the title report or have somebody that knew how to read it, you would have had no idea about that. And it was important as a buyer to to know uh, about what that required. And again, I don't rec- remember exactly what it is, but that sort of thing is important in, in knowing um, from a buyer's perspective. But you know, if you're just finding this episode and you're listening about contingencies, you know, we dive into writing offers, uh, you know, in in an episode before and how to present your best offer. You know, we've also talked about why buying a house is important, you know, when you, you know, should buy a house, all of these things. And and if you're a home buyer out there looking for education, go back and, and check out those episodes and do us a favor. If there's a topic that we haven't covered that you want us to cover, there's an email in the description below. Go to that you know email, send us an email, tell us what you want to hear, and we'll dive into it. And this week, we're also going to add the live at the end of the week because last week we missed it. I was out of town traveling, so stay tuned for that. But for now, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate all the support. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. 
If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.